0: Well, I am ecstatic to be here. I'm honored. I'm privileged to not only be here, but to just to be known by God, to know God, but to be known by Him. This week, I think God has done a work in my heart, and um, my wife has prayed for me. She's like, just over the years, she's, she's always been concerned that I just study for other people. It's kind of a challenge as a pastor being in the ministry. You're always trying to get for others rather than to really be fed yourself. And I wasn't really attempting to do something of that nature, but I think really this week God kind of turned the lights on and deposited something into me that I'd like to um, share with you. And even if it doesn't come out, even if I'm not able to organize my words, orchestrate my thoughts, and clearly communicate what God's given to me, I'm okay with that because I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I really got the good stuff this week. And I guess my my prevailing thought, I'll just tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then we'll try to figure out if I could retell it. But my prevailing thought is that we have a huge God. God is so big. And if you have a big God, you have small problems. But if you have a really small God, then all your problems seem to be really big. And a lot of times I think we live our lives and everything seems to be a big problem. And everything seems to be, just come at us. And I think the devil just, the devil believes what I'm going to tell you today. He's a believer. (laughs) He's not an agnostic. He's not an atheist. I believe the devil understands what I'm going to try to tell you about the size of God. He knows. I don't think he wants us to know. So he distracts us. And we get caught up in the cares of this life. And we get choked out. Um right? Even today, like you could be looking around like, where is everyone? We usually have a lot more people, but where is everyone? It doesn't matter. You're here, and God's big, and he wants you to know some things that the devil doesn't want you to know. And so we're going to take a journey. We're going to go to our text, which is found in John, and I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to show you a video I'm going to show you two videos today, one in, the, one in the beginning and then one at the end. And I'm hoping that even through video and technology, that God will somehow give you an immense view of an immense creation that will cause us to lean into the everlasting arms of this immense creator. And then our problems will seem to just shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink that we could understand just the vastness of God and that as big as the creation is and bigger still is the creator that he would condescend and shrink himself down from his heart to yours that he would choose to dwell with you and dwell with me and desire an eternal, dynamic, vibrant love relationship forever. Forever. And so this forever God kind of comes out of the gates through his apostle John and says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, Verse 3 is where we're going to be looking at today. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, that Zoe life, that resurrection life, that unending life, that uncreated life, that everlasting, eternal life immutable life. In him was that life that was before all things, after all things, in all things. And that life was the light of men. And that light, the light, shined, shines in darkness. And the darkness comprehends it not or did not comprehend it. Heavenly Father, I pray as we look at some videos and look at some verses that we would leave here just in awe and in wonder that you would change maybe our paradigm a little bit, that we would sing songs not just because we could keep a rhythm or orchestrate some words or but they, we would sing them from our hearts directed towards you just in just in awesomeness that we would just think that you I could take the time and you created everything and we're the capstone of your creation and you want to spend eternity you want to share eternity with us Lord we're so small but I love that you you as big as you are want, want to have uh, life with your small creation so Lord just open our minds and our hearts and just reveal yourself to us just give us a little bit just a little bit more of a glimpse pull back the curtain a little bit Pull back matter and time and space a little bit so we could see the God who is spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Ever since man first looked into the night sky, he knew that he was a part of something much, much bigger than himself. The vastness of the heavens was incomprehensible. The breadth of it all spoke of things eternal. And in looking at the heavens, man believed that perhaps he was really looking into the face of God. From Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they display knowledge. So where are we in this place called the universe? Our moon is our nearest neighbor, one quarter of a million miles away. Our sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. The solar system is flying through space at 134 miles per second, spinning as it goes It is a part of a vast collection of stars and star systems. Scientists estimate as many as 200 billion stars are a part of this collection called the Milky Way Galaxy. Saturn, of the nine planets in our solar system, is over one billion miles away. It is one thousand times the size of our Earth. the 200 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy, 6 billion of these stars have planetary systems like ours. Every star we can see in the night sky lies within the realm of our own galaxy. Voyager 1 is now the most distant human-made object in space. It was launched in 1977 traveling at a speed of 40,000 miles per hour. It is just now arriving at the edge of our solar system. The sun there is only one five thousandth as bright as here on Earth, so it is extremely cold and there is very little solar energy to provide electrical power. The fact that the spacecraft is still returning data is a remarkable surprise to our scientific community. Our solar system, containing the Sun and the nine orbiting planets, orbits the center of the Milky Way galaxy on just one of its outer spiraling arms. Our Milky Way galaxy, the home to our solar system, is just one of over 125 billion galaxies that make up the visible universe. Andromeda is the next closest galaxy It is 10 million, million, million miles away from the Earth. Traveling at the speed of light, it would take 2 million years to reach Andromeda. Andromeda and the Milky Way form a small cluster of galaxies called the Local Group. Beyond the Local Group are even greater clusters of galaxies. Man has no knowledge whatever of what lies beyond this distance from hebrews chapter 11 by faith we understand that the universe was formed at god's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible from colossians chapter one and jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by Jesus and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together how big is God the Bible declares that the endless eternal universe is just one of God's creations as incomprehensible as that is for our minds to conceive what may be even more unimaginable is that in the vastness of all that he has made he loves you And through Jesus Christ, His Son, the God of the universe, extends His hand and His love to you.
0: Amen. I feel like we could stop right there. How big is God? I think what amazes me even still... As big and as incomprehensible as the observable universe is, the matter, the time, the space, God isn't confined to time. He's not confined to space. He's not confined to matter. He lives inside of it by choice, but He also lives outside of it because that's who He is. So the things that are seen are made from the one who's not seen. He spoke it all into existence. And yet still, out of all of the billions, I know the math is just, it really dwarfs our finite brains. It kind of just kind of causes short circuits in my mind. It just kind of just, it frazzles me just a tad. But that that he would choose us, the earth, as his footstool, right? Right? As the apple of his eye, out of all of it, he says, Nope, you're the place, you're the people. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And you know what? When it's all said and done, the Bible says, and we're going to read it, as you turn to Isaiah, he's going to close it all like a curtain. See these curtains? That would be the equivalent to the universe. And he just he opens it and closes it. And when he's done with it, he's done with it. And heaven, the heavens and earth shall pass away, but the word remains. And that's who we're going to be with. It's phenomenal when you think about it. It's just because we can't even step into the realm of the infinite to understand the infinitude of God because we're so limited and finite, but yet we walk around as though everything's a big deal. And it's really not a big deal in comparison, right? (laughs) I'm not trying to... Uh, suggest to you nihilism or anything that, uh, you know, it's just meaningless, but it is meaningless. We're going to talk about how God in the scope of how big He is, in the scope of how big everything is, everything we do is insignificant without God. It's only God that comes down from infinity to penetrate our finite world with time, space, and matter to give us matter, to give us purpose, and to give us meaning. Let's turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40. And let's just kind of get a glimpse of how God was trying to convey himself to not only the nation Israel, but to us, his creation. Charles Haddon Spurgeon called Isaiah the Bible within the Bible. Isaiah contains 66 chapters. The Bible itself contains 66 books. The entire gospel can be found in just... The book of Isaiah alone, as well as the entire Bible, of course. But if you just had the book of Isaiah, which some people only had at certain times in history, you can still communicate God as creator and Jesus as God and the redemptive plan and that he would die for your sins. It's all there in the book. So The prophet Isaiah, like many other prophets uh, before, was sent by God to warn Israel about their old covenant promises that they broke and their conditions for breaking them and the promises for keeping them but God's ultimate discipline towards the the children of Israel was to be plucked off the land and to be taken into captivity as was often their cyclical pattern so Isaiah changes though from the first 39 chapters it's a lot different than from chapters 40 to chapters 66 It takes a different turn and really exhausts the majesty of our God um, versus the lifeless idols that the heathen and others decided to uh, degenerate to. So let's look, if you would, starting in Isaiah. We'll pick it up in verse 3, and we'll see how far we could go here. But again, keep in mind we're starting from our platform text, which is John 1. Three. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. So in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, you'll re- you'll recognize a lot of these verses. Some of the, there, a lot of them are prophetic, and we'll see John the Baptist here and uh, the Lamb of God kind of introduced or alluded to. It says the voice of him cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be made low. And the, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And of course, Jesus is the glory of God, revealed to us. And, and John the Baptist, the forerunner, it said of him, The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and the godliness there, or the goodliness thereof, or the flower of the field, The grass withers and the flower fades because the spirit of the Lord blows upon it. And surely the people is grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. This eternal word that's spoken of in John chapter 1. O Zion that brings good things, good tidings. Get thee up to the high mountain, O Jerusalem, and bring good tidings, and lift up your voice with strength. Lift up, and be not afraid, and say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule him. Uh, Behold, his reward is with them, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, of course. He shall gather his lambs with his arm and shall carry them in his heart, his bosom. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. And as you read this, consider the nation of Israel that turned from this God, from the creator to the created things. And how easy it is for us to get our eyes off of the Creator onto the created things. It's so easy. I don't say this in a shameful way or a condemning way. It's so easy. There's so many things that, you know, like it says, redeem the time because the, the days are evil. It's so easy to have time wasters and things to get our minds off of Christ and off of the goodness of God and just onto things that are so insignificant And so Israel was falling for this, and uh, they were turning from God, and they were turning to things less than God. And so God has to challenge them with these rhetorical questions and these ideas of the grandeur and greatness of God. So starting in verse 12, he mentions, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who have meted out heaven with a span? This isn't hang loose, by the way. (laughs) It's a span. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, pinch. And weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord and being his counselor had taught him. We're going to come back to verse 12, but I want to read to the end here. With whom took he counsel and instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. We're talking about an eternal God that doesn't go to a board meeting. He doesn't search the internet. He doesn't Google things for answers. He doesn't, he doesn't need to go to a library. He doesn't need to get advice from anyone. He is omni-everything, which means Whatever God has, he has eternal of it. So if it's knowledge, eternal knowledge. If it's energy, eternal energy. Right? Whatever God has, he has in quantities of eternality. So he's asking the question, where does God go? Where is he going to go that's better than who he is? Who's he going to go to? Verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. I know things here heating up lately, you know, between certain nations. And uh, man, if you watch the news or read the Dredge Report like I do, it just seems like, you know, (laughs) the nations. Bloop. 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 It could be North Korea. It could be Iran. It could be China. It could be Russia. Um, When are the Canadians ever going to give us any problems? It doesn't matter who it is. They're just such nice people, right? Um, (laughs) Eh? The nations, as big as they are, are a drop in the bucket. And he says this. um, And are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles, the islands. And they're a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are accounted to him as less than nothing and vanity. And he's starting to sound like Solomon a little bit. <laughs> Verse eighteen: To whom then will you liken God? Right? It our missionaries um, uh, into Romania. Uh, I've done mission work in Romania. I've been in Timisoara Square where Ceausescu was ousted uh, a year before I got there and communist government was overthrown, and it was a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal. We were handing out Bibles, and the people were just taking the Bibles and we were able to preach and sing. And just a couple years before, we would have went to jail for that, possibly lost our lives. But these nations, right, they come and go, they come and go, and God is saying that... They're just their vanity, their vanity in comparison to who he is. The workman, verse 19, makes a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads spreads it over with gold and casts silver chains, and he that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He's like, okay, we're gonna make something that's gonna last. We're gonna make we're gonna make a god that's gonna trigger. Our worship and adoration hey I know let's go get a hardwood tree and let's make a God out of the finest tree we could find because that'll do it right so they're going to the created realm looking for things that the Creator made and do you think a tree is significant to a God that made the universe and they're gonna reduce God down to a piece of wood the finest piece of wood no doubt <laughs> one that doesn't have dry rot or that the termites haven't uh, infected. So he's saying uh, he seeks unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. He's going to ask a question. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It's he that sits on the circle of the earth. I don't think God believes in a flat earth theory. The inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers in comparison from God to us. He stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. You ever, you ever go camping? You ever, you ever have a pop-up tent? And when you get in that tent, does it seem extremely large? <laughs> it doesn't, right? And you think about the billions of light years that it takes I think it's 93 I'll be off on all of my astronomical um, <laughs> measurements and does it really matter I mean mm-hmm. so God just says like you do with this sheet on your bed and there it is the universe the universe and that's a tent that he dwells in It's a curtain that he'll shut when he says it's all done. The good news is, we're with the curtain shutter, right? (laughs) We're with the tent maker. We're with him. It makes my life seem so insignificant in the scale, right? You go to work, people bother you, you have projects and goals, and you have financial issues and health issues, and... People talking about you and you're worried about this relationship and that relationship and seems like we're worried all the time and we have the cares of this world and man the tent maker. He's with you, he's for you, he's in you, he loves you. I'm not saying that what you're going through is insignificant. It is insignificant in the scale of how big everything is, but we have significant insignificance because of God and he cares and he loves and he dwells and he's in you because if you've got a small God you've got big problems if you've got a big God you've got small problems amen so let's go on verse 23 he brings the princes to nothing he makes the judges of the earth as vanity Who is Vladimir Putin to God, right? (laughs) Who is Charlemagne, Napoleon, Hitler? Who are these guys to God? Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their their stalks shall not uh, take root in the earth. They shall also blow upon them, and they shall not wither, or they shall wither, and the whirlwind should take them away as stubble. To whom will you liken me, verse twenty-five? Or who shall I be equal? Says the Lord. Like who are, you gonna, who's gonna, who are you attributing this stuff to? The universe? The vastness of everything. Who are you going to liken that to? You know, people that believe in the Big Bang said everything, all the energy of this universe that we see was reduced down to the size of a period on a paper. And then it was agitated, and then it spun, and then it exploded, and then everything that you see came into being from everything from the size of a period on a piece of paper. Does it take more faith to believe in a period? So God's saying, who are you going to liken me to? In the beginning, an accident. In the beginning, a bang. And I don't know how it all started. I know there's light out there that's billions of years away. But I also know that when God created Adam and Eve, there was trees that had food on it already, right? (laughs) Adam was full grown. The light was already there, right? I already know that. But don't even get caught up in that. I know your mind is think you're getting all technical. Don't do that. Don't worry about the details so much. Think about how big God is. I remember thinking, okay, it's all going to end. The, you read to the end of the book, and then I, I, you know, Jesus is going to come back. And how many of you get bogged down and like, oh man, the mark of the beast, is it on your hand? Is it in the hand of your forehead? Is it a barcode? Is it a biodermal implant the size of a grain of rice? I mean, how are you gonna energize that? And how's it, you know, everyone got Okay, if someone cuts off your head, can they still take your head and scan it and use your identity? And do you ever get, maybe that's just my craziness, but I lose all track of the bigger picture Which is, I'm with the one who's coming back. It's going to shut the curtains. And when the curtains are shut, I'm with him. So, we have a huge God. Whom will you liken me? Verse 25. Lift up your eyes. Verse 26. Isaiah 40. On high, behold, who has created these things? Look at verse 26, please. Lift up your eyes on high. I think this is very important. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. I think most of our vision in life, in our, in our day and age in which we live, listen up, young people, most of our, the, the scope of our vision is about 18 inches. Not from your head to your heart, but from your face to your phone. I think as far as most people see is about 18 inches. And they're walking this life with short-sighted vision of about 18 inches. And what God's saying here is lift up your eyes and behold, who's created these things that brings out the stars, the host by number, and he calls them all by name. Do you know that um, you can purchase stars in people's names and have them gifted to people? Okay, there's about 7 billion people on the planet Earth, right? With the amount of stars that we know of, and there's definitely stars that we don't know of, each person currently, if you were to buy stars, could have 3 trillion stars to themselves. So, what a great business model. (laughs) I mean, let's start selling stars and have your name after him because you're never going to exhaust it, at least in your lifetime. Okay, so he says, he brings them out by the host by number and he calls them all by the greatness of his might and he's strong in power, not one faileth. God knows every single one of, he knows our star He knows the next star, which is Proxima Centauri. He knows the stars that are bigger than our star. Do you realize the earth, as big as it is, you could fit a million of the earths inside our sun? That's how big our sun is, but our sun is not big. Do you know there's other suns that are bigger than our sun? Uh, Belteges, Sirius. uh, There's so many stars that are bigger than our stars. There's, um, I forget the name of it, there's one star that's so big, you could fit millions of our sun inside of that sun. It, can you say the word astronomical? Does that apply? <laughs> so God knows all of them. He knows the big ones, the little ones, the, the dwarf stars. He knows the giant stars. And he calls them all by names. And they all have planets. And they're all doing something. And God, my wife says, I, she, I love the way she looks at it. She's like, I just think God loves ornaments. God loves decorations. That's how she looks at it. God just is like, like a Christmas tree. Like, boop 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 God just likes ornaments this is the way she looks at it. <laughs> and I love that. And he says, um... Verse 27, why, why do you say, O Jacob, why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed uh, over from my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? Which now it seems insignificant, like, oh, the earth, big deal. But he faints not. He's not even weary there's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. That's us. He cares about our weakness. Why would he care? He, he ignited the stars that would swallow up our little solar system, which is nothing. It's nothing. Our solar system is just nothing. It's so nothing. Small. It's something. It's significant because God gives it significance, but it's nothing in comparison. I mean, let's get over ourselves a little bit. You know, but he gives he, he, he condescends, he reduces the as big as God is, he comes down to where you're at, and he says, "You're worried, you have stress, you have anxiety, uh, you feel weak, you feel like you can't go another mile. He comes and he meets you where you're at. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. I've heard of a professional athlete um, spending a day with a young child, like between five to seven, and he was going to copy all that he did. Because, you know, we use terms like they have endless energy, they have boundless energy, right? Any grandparents out there, are like, yeah, I'll I'll watch the kids, your kids go... Go to Sizzler, have uh, unlimited um, shrimp, which is not really unlimited, but, you know. I'm just throwing out words and measurements because we're like, yeah, go away and I'll watch the kids. And then after a while, you're like, oh man, I'm so tired. Well, a professional athlete decided to be like kind of a grandparent and say, I'm going to watch the kid and I'm only going to do it as an experiment to see if I could do everything that kid did all day. If they jump, he's going to jump. If they climb, he's going to climb. If he runs like 30 laps, he's going to run. He says, I couldn't keep up. The kid has boundless energy. But you know what? At night, about 8 o'clock or so, the kid laid his head in bed, fell asleep. He doesn't have boundless energy. He just has more energy than we do, right? (laughs) But when we think of terms of God, I mean, he has unlimited energy. Unlimited energy. Boundless energy. This is our God. He gives power to the faint. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall or fail. Fall. Sorry. Verse thirty-one. But they that wait upon the Lord, those that puts our faith and trust in this Creator, shall renew our strength and shall mount up with as wings as eagles, and we shall run and shall not be weary, and we shall walk and not faint our insignificance becomes significant when it's connected to this God, the God of the universe. So I'd like for us to go back to verse 12 because I want to put some things into perspective. Who would measured the water in the hollow of his hands, who metered out the heaven in a span, and comprehended the dust, the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Now, we looked at part of how big the universe is. Let's kind of do a, a micro... That was a macro view. Let's kind of go uh, micro, but it's not micro in the sense that it's small. But let's look at some things here that at least we could measure. The Bible says that he measured the mountains. You're, you guys ever um, carry sandbags? I carry them at the city of Cyprus. And I could carry maybe two at, the, at once. And depending if it's, they're not... Depending if I could grab them, you know, and even two is heavy. And you, in the back of a truck, Sandbags are heavy. It's like the size of your cat food, right? <laughs> Sandbags. OK Let's look at this picture here, Mount Everest, probably the tallest place on Earth. It's 29,000. 29 feet tall. K2 is the second largest. It's in the same region. It's 28,251 feet tall. I think if you do the math, it's about six miles high. Mount Everest. That's just one. That's pretty... People that climb that, I mean, you know, you're just... You're the bee's knees if you could do that. Right? And to God... I'm trying to give you a little scope of who God is, right? Nothing. It's nothing. It's something, but it's really nothing in, in comparison. So he measured the mountains. Again, I couldn't measure, I could only lift a sandbag. Could you imagine lifting Mount Everest or just pulling up the dirt with a pinch? Measured the dust, the Bible says. I did a measurement. Uh, I when I figured out what a measure was, it's a pinch. You know, when you pinch something, uh, my wife has, she's done this for years, she'll put like uh, Himalayan salt, ironic, um, and then pepper, um, and then I have red pepper flakes, and they're out, they're open, so you could just grab a pinch and put it on your stuff, right? Rather than a, a shaker. And I was wondering, how much can I pinch? Right? I can only pinch a quarter of a teaspoon. This is my biggest pinch. Right? For a measure, <laughs> it's my biggest pinch. And look at this next slide here. This is the Sahara Desert. If you were to go there and just see how much you could pinch of sand, I don't think you'd be able to pinch that much. But to God, that's like taking salt and just throwing it on the earth. So the surface of the earth is 196.9 million square miles. That's a lot of surface. That's a big pinch. Sand, they say, if you assume a grain of sand has, the, uh, has an average size and you could calculate how many gra- grains are in a teaspoon and then multiply by all the beaches and deserts in the world, the earth has roughly, and we're speaking very roughly, coarse, like sandpaper, get it? times 10 to the 18th power grains of sand. Or, just if you guys can't run the numbers in your head really fast, 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains of sand. And God just pinched it. It says here, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Again, I did the test. The hollow of your hand is like if you cup your hand, how much, I'm wondering how much water I could hold in my hand. Well, after I did it, to my surprise, I could hold 1.5 teaspoons of water in my hand. Water, if you were to take all the water in and above the Earth, would be about 332,500,000 million cubic miles of water on planet Earth. Cubic miles cubic miles. How big is your God? Right? He measured heaven with a span. Now we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit. And a span is from the end of your pinky to the end of your thumb. Right? That was a very common way to measure back in the day before Stanley made the 25-foot retractable tape measuring (laughs) tool. So, my span is about eight inches wide. The galaxy, astronomers estimate that the observable universe has more than 100 billion galaxies. Ours is the Milky Way galaxy. Our solar system is not the galaxy. You got that, right? We got one sun, what, nine planets or whatever, eight planets, and we all, we're uh, heliocentric. We all orbit and revolve around the sun, right? Sun centric. But we're only, out on one arm of the Milky Way galaxy, which has billions of others. You feeling pretty small? My my hope is this, is that we would leave here, and then when life comes at us and everything seems like to be a big deal, we'd just kind of go like, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal. My God's got this. Might seem insignificant, but God brings significance to my insignificance. I got a big God. My problems are small. I'm going to be with him. When the curtains are shut, I'm with the tent maker. Right? That's my hope, is that we would leave here and just, on a daily basis, just be like, God's got this. Yo. (laughs) So, our Milky Way is home to around 300 billion stars. By measuring the number and luminosity of observable galaxies. Astronomers put current estimates of our total stellar population at roughly 70 billion trillion. Okay, we're in Orange County. Have you, ever, have you cruised every neighborhood of Orange County? Orange County. It's a large county, granted. But have you been to every one of the neighborhoods? We live in a subdivision a tiny, little, tiny subdivision in our Milky Way galaxy, which is just a little development in the scope of all the other ones. Are we starting to, like, zoom out a little bit and see, like, here's what I did. Holy cow. I I don't know what to do. If you don't have God, this will crush you. And it will lead you to be helpless and hopeless or you'll become a nihilist and say, well, it doesn't really matter. I'll just eat, drink and for tomorrow we die. I know you're scared, though. You've got to be scared if you don't know God. It's <laughs> a freaky, frightening universe out there. And if you don't know the creator, I don't even know what we're doing. So let's go further uh, here. Um, the universe between the earth and the edge of the observable universe is 46 billion light years away. That's from the earth to the edge. It's not from the edge to edge. It's just from the middle. If we're, and we're not geocentric in our view of the universe. That would put us at the middle, and we're not, right? We are in God's economy. He's chose to have us as his centerpiece, but that's not the way it's mapped out observably. So... Okay, so from edge to edge, it's about 91 billion light years. And the Bible says it's he that sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabits there over grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. So the closest star, I've brought this up before, but just if you forgot, the closest star is our sun. It's 93 million miles from the earth. It takes... 499 seconds to get there for light or about 8.3 minutes at the speed of light for light to travel from the sun uh, to the earth. So if the sun were to burn out, we wouldn't know about it until about 8 minutes later. But here's what this means. Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. So the universe is so big that we can't use kilometers and miles to gauge it, right? We have to use something so huge in order to understand it that if you were to travel at 186,000 miles per second, in a year, you would have traveled 5.9 trillion miles. The closest star is Proxima Centauri, Right, that's the closest star next to our star, and it takes 4.3 light years at the speed of light to get there. 186,000, 186,000 miles per second. So let me let me just give you more perspective on that. The space shuttle travels at a maximum speed of 17,600 miles per hour. It would have taken the space shuttle about 165,000 years to reach Proxima Centauri. No one's going to live that long. Who's going to be that astronaut? I'll do it. I'm in good health. Oh, really? (laughs) You eat your Wheaties? Oh, OK. The Voyager. You guys, I was five when the Voyager was launched. Do you guys know the Voyager? Yeah? Um, So the Voyager was launched in 1977. It's traveling away from the sun at a rate of uh, 30, well, rounded up about 40,000 miles per hour. That's fast. From 1977, that's a hot rod spaceship, man. Right? It's going 40,000 miles per hour. And now if the Voyager were to travel to Proxima Centauri, the closest star I told you, at this rate, at that speed, it would still take it over 73,000 years to arrive to the closest star. Are you starting to get a glimpse of how big all this stuff is? Hopefully it shrinks you to where you're like, you realize I'm insignificant in the size of things, so that you would lean into the everlasting arms of the Father and say, but my significance is in you because you came down and you revealed yourself. You communicated who you are. You want to live from your heart to mine. You spoke a word. You gave a word, and that word that spoke it all is now dwelling in me. Okay, you have given significance to my insignificance. Thank you, God. The point is this you want me to, I'm not going to do it, but there's, NASA has talked about special relativity, which basically means the mass of an object increases as its speed increases, and as it approaches infinity, as the object's speed approaches the speed of light, this means that it would take an infinite amount of energy to accelerate an object to the speed of light. In other words, we can't even go that fast because we couldn't sustain the energy, and we couldn't sustain the size, is what that means. So we can't even... But even if you could... Who's got 4.3 years just to go to a star? And where's the brakes on that ship? I mean, come on. But Jesus, here's, the, here's kind of a, a thought. Jesus is light. Amen? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was light. Jesus is light. Jesus is infinite. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's in all places at once. He's in every place and time and in every time and place. And God is the uncaused cause of everything. He's the uncreated creator of all things. He, Jesus, is the great I am. And we're with him. He's with us. So I think there's some other slides when we're talking about the, there's the earth, there's the earth. There's the ocean, those waters. There's the heavens. Can't measure that with my finger. You know, I can't. That's billions of years apart. Um, I can't do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Um, some more, I think. Go to one more. It's just awesome when you look at the the creation. Here's a quote that I want to. I've quoted this once before, but in context, it's just one of my favorite quotes on just the attributes of God. A.W. Tozer, he's even written a book called The Attributes of God, and this isn't from this. It's from a sermon he preached. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I would say that there's no greater thought than the thought of God. There isn't. Can you think of anything larger than the thoughts that were, were, not me, God put them in his word. And he says, consider the heavens. Even George is telling me, hey, you going to bring up, was it Psalm 8 or 9? Psalm 8. Read Psalm 8. We consider the heavens. What is man that he's mindful of us? When we consider the heavens, who are we that he would be mindful of us? But what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains higher, low thoughts of God. Is your God just a tree, right? You're going to find a strong, sturdy tree, and your God's something really small. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most uh, portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. He went on to say, God is eminent, which means you don't have to go distances to find God. He is in everything. He is right here. God is above all things, beneath all things, outside of all things, inside all things. God is above, but he's not pushed up. He's beneath, but he's not pressed down. He is outside, but he's not excluded. He is inside, but he's not confined. God is above all things presiding, beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside of all things filling. That is the eminence of God. And God doesn't travel to get anywhere because there isn't any place where God is not. Wow. Pretty big God. I'll say it again. If you have a big God, you have small problems. If you have a small God, just by mathematics, you have big problems, right? <laughs> and look, your big problems to you, I, God understands. It's not like it's irrelevant or it's a nuisance. Or Your big problems to you seem big to you, and that's okay. Because it is a big deal to you. And it is a big deal to me. But we've got a God that's so big that's running the whole thing. And he knows and he cares. What amazes me, as impressive as all of the universe is, that he just, he opened up like a curtain, he spread like a tent, and he spoke into existence. As impressive as all that is, I think what's, I don't know if I could say this in definite terms, what's really impressive is that he would reduce himself down and dwell with us and choose us as his favorite place in the universe to dwell. Remember Solomon saying, what house can I build you? Right? Even the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. Remember Solomon when he's going to, I think it's 2 Kings 8 or so what, and, his, and one of his prayers when he's talking about the temple, he's like, what can I build you? you the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, much less this house. But God says, I choose to dwell in you. That's, to me, impressive. That God, that's, the creation's awesome, but that he would choose to come down and to dwell in us and to be concerned with your problems. That's impressive. So, that gives significance to our insignificance, is what I'm trying to say. In relation to how big the universe is, and everything seems to be empty, vain, and meaningless, as Solomon concluded in Ecclesiastes, and he basically said that all life really is empty without God, without a relationship with God. You could have the biggest, baddest, the best, the most, but if you don't have God, it's vanity. Even here, too, it would be empty without God. Everything would have no purpose if we did not meet our purpose in Christ. The world is helpless and lost without the one who created everything seen and unseen. God is a spirit, but matter matters, and the only thing that matters is our relatedness to our Father who is in heaven and in our heart. So we have significant insignificance because of God we have important unimportance we have relevant irrelevance we have meaningful meaninglessness we have purposeful purposelessness because god has came down and attached himself to those that are born again that have passed from death to life and entered into faith with god it is impressive that god so big could become so small but even more impressive that he chose to stay and to make his home and dwelling place in the hearts of those that said, yes, God. So, with that to me, that should give us no fear to approach life. Run, don't walk in faith. Remember the Bible says walk in faith? Yeah, walk in faith, but this causes me to run, not walk. I'm going to speed up here. Just got a couple more things to say and then we'll show a video. Blaise Pascal, I finally found this quote. I had... Read it. I have the book called The Pensies, and I had read it, but they're little proverbs from Blaise Pascal, one of my favorite um, Christian philosophers. He was a French philosopher, scientist, a scientist and a mathematician, an apologist, a Christian, and this was the quote I was looking for, a couple of them. For after all, what is man in nature? A nothing in relation to infinity. Incidentally, he, made, he created the, the calculator in the vacuum. He's the inventor of those things, just to give you a little bit of his resume. Pretty smart dude. After all, what is man in nature? A nothing in relation to infinity. In all relation to nothing, a central point between nothing and all and infinitely far from understanding either. The ends of things and their beginnings are impregnable, Concealed from him in an un, uh, unpenetrable secret. He is equally incapable of seeing the nothingness out of which he was drawn and the infinite in which he was engulfed. The next quote here from Blaze. We're on first name basis. I call him Brother Blaze. Now he's been dead for a few hundred years. Man lives between the infinitely large and the infinitely small. Okay. Because we've been going infinitely out. Have you ever thought about going in the opposite direction? Because there's things that keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And in the world of those things which are small, it keeps getting smaller. Eric and I were talking about an (laughs) ant. And we're talking about our relationship with an ant. And then we're talking about, man, there's things that look at an ant that th- make an ant look like a huge dinosaur. And there's things that look at the thing that looks at the ant that look, it just keeps going on and on and on. And what Blaze is proposing is that we're somewhere in between what that which is infinitely big and that which is infinitely small. Which means, if of course, this is a theory, that we are the center of it all in God's perspective and God's creative, seen and unseen realm we're smack dab in the middle of it because he says, you are created in my image. And we have the stamp of eternity in our heart. That's why we want to know these things. That's why the greatest scientists that have ever lived have had God as their central point of reference in all of the creation as a discovery and unfolding of the creator. And so he's put, he's stamped eternity in our hearts so that we could know him and make him known so the challenge i guess for us is our belief about is our belief about god as such that he could create everything that he could reduce himself to the smallest living uh, organism and be born of a virgin that he could live a perfectly sinless life that he could die for our sins uh, be raised again from the dead and that he could give us eternal life but that he couldn't even help us or meet us uh, right where we're at with our daily concerns. I think that's where I live a lot of times. Like God, yeah, I know you could do all that. You're God, of course, but you don't really care about me, right? My problems and my insignificant little life, right? You don't care about me, but He does. Why would I believe God is really that big? He could go. He could go that big and be that powerful. But yet with that power, he wouldn't be concerned with my little tiny needs. Right? I become like an unbelieving believer. I believe God. He created everything. I don't believe he really cares about my little things. Right? (laughs) So that's what I'm trying to convey here is that he does. So our insignificance becomes significant because God cares. And this big God has reduced himself to our level so that he it's like Billy Graham. Remember you ever remember Billy Graham saying it's like God yelling to if you ever yell at an ant, hey ant, don't walk there you're going to get hurt. The best way to communicate with an ant is just to become one and tell him in person. Right? <laughs> and that's what God did in Jesus. He became us and told us in person he loves us. He proved it, demonstrated it. So, let's just wrap this up and bring a big God into our little lives. Let me ask this. Does it not occur to us that the the creator of something so big would choose to make his home in something so small as our hearts? What we do in our short little life really doesn't matter, but when we have the God of all matter living inside of us, everything really does matter. He set infinitude in our hearts. That's why we just care, we have big thoughts, we have a big God, and we have small problems, but when we don't know these things and we don't believe these things, then the world just kind of, you know, the gravity of life just kind of pulls us down, and we lose sight of who we really are and who God really is. All I'm trying to say is, let's zoom out a little bit, let's get a different perspective about who we are and where we are and who, who God is. Um, and so, yeah, I was thinking today it's not like an out-of-body thought, but it's almost like you you know drones where the drones go up and they look down? Just kind of get a drone view of your life every once in a while. It seems to be like small and shrunk and this care that care, this bill, that problem and it's shrink and shrink and shrink. Zoom out a little bit. Give yourself a drone view of your life. A God-sized perspective of who we are and who's got it. So in conclusion, here, the creation and the Creator's first question to Adam was this Where are you, Adam? Remember Adam and Eve sinned? And John chapter 1 to me is, he's kind of borrowing a lot of Genesis chapter 1. And it's almost like that was the first creation and and John's introducing kind of the new creation because Jesus has come and he's coming to give a new race, those that have been born again into the family of God. And so without going into that, because we'll get into that later in the coming weeks, the first question that God asked, and he's not asking for information he already knew, but he wanted Adam to repeat it or to admit it, to confess it so Adam would know. And my thought is this, Adam, where are you? It's almost like if we're going back again, the Creator wants us to know, hey, where are you and where are you going? Are you here and you're not sure that you will spend eternity with God when the curtain shuts? Do you not know that? When God rolls up the entire universe like a scroll or a rug, where will you be? If we can trust God for the big things, can we trust him also for the little things? We trust that he has it all under control with the universe, but do we trust that he has it in control with our little lives? If he could take care of the big stuff, why couldn't he take care of the little, the little stuff? And he does care, he proved it, he demonstrated it, he came, he, he didn't just say it from heaven, he, he came, he just shrunk down, put himself in the womb, came out of the womb, lived the life, died and rose again and says, this is true. This is the God of the universe demonstrating uh, to you, not just with words, but the word became flesh. So, you know, the Bible says Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. He didn't believe a system. He didn't believe just a text. He didn't believe a theory. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. All I'm trying to say is, when I've studied this out, all I could say is, I'm a believer, God. I'm a believer. I'd be a fool not to. It would take more faith not to believe at this point. I'm a believer. Abraham believed God. I just simply believe you, God. I don't say it all works out in my favor, but you know what? I'm learning to zoom in and to zoom out. I'm learning to find significance in my insignificant little life. My life's not that big. It's not that big. It's not that big of a deal. What I do is not that big of a deal. Not that big. It's really not in comparison, but I'm learning to engage God and then when he comes down it gives purpose, it gives meaning, it gives significance, it gives, it gives passion, it gives life. That gives, gives me enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm, in theos, means to be in God. I have really have enthusiasm because I'm in theos. I'm in God. I, I am excited about it. He's in me. Uh, hopefully you believe God. The devils believe. They know the size of God. They've seen it. Of course they believe. They can't be saved because you need to be saved by faith. That's believing without seeing. Just to help you with that little question. Well, how come the devil, if he believes? Because he sees and he doesn't believe. Right? By faith. So, let's go back to our original starting point, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him... Nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. I'm going to do this. I'm going to close in a little bit of a unique way. I'm just going to show you. It's a short three-minute video, and then we'll just be dismissed. But I want to show you this last video, and keep in mind, there's not going to be any, um, any verbal communication. There's are just going to hear music, but you're going to see the scale of in which where we live it's going to zoom out and then it's going to zoom back in and if you could take that zooming out and zooming in approach to life and walk out these doors and be like i'm small but i have a big god god's got it i'm good to go so let's roll the video here